This is Planted, a podcast that encourages us to be rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ and established in the faith. And today, Pastor Matt walks us through the five solas of the Reformation, sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, soli deo gloria, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Matt Grimm, and we are back with the Planted Podcast. I'm sitting here with Thad Keenel. Good afternoon, Pastor Matt. How are you today? I'm doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Looking forward to Continuing on with this season where we're looking at Reformed Doctrines, and we just finished up going through five episodes of, of one for each of the five letters of TULIP, which is the, as we've talked about, the response of uh, Calvinists to the Arminianists. Right. Um, and so uh, we ended, you know, last week talking about the perseverance of the saints and talking about how you know all these these five things all fit together there's a lot of consistency they flow into one another all centering on the glory of God and his eternal decree and the assurance of of what he uh, sets out to do he's going to accomplish and as we talked about that we kind of ended with this, what do we do with people who do seem to be turning away, right? What we have, because there is that reality that people, you know, do sometimes profess faith in Christ and then turn away from some point. And, and, and again, as we talked about, that, that isn't a reflection on, on God, what God starts and he accomplishes, right? Because right. That sometimes it's just a human decision. If, if, it, if it's purely a human decision, um, that can fall away. But when it's a decision of God, when it's part of his eternal decree, part of his unconditional election, his saving grace that is sure, that is irresistible, then the, the humans who, who do have that regeneration of the Holy Spirit will persevere to the end. Yeah, yeah. Right? So do you think that's more of a – what I see is where God sets the standard, mm -hmm. he provides us – his command, and we think of Hebrews, you know, in, in times past, he spoke through the prophets, and then in the latter days, through Jesus Christ, his son, that how serious a person or a group of Christians, as a, that is the, a congregation, how serious the people take the authority of God's word, you know, the further we stray from that, the, the, the more we're getting away from the truth that he's intended for us to know. Yeah. I, I think so. Can't and live I, by. Right. And, and then and then also I think the more man wants to somehow step in and get control of things. Um, and I think that's what we're going to get into a little bit today mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of the institution of the church, that there are roles that we play and we to be faithful to Scripture, which has certain things we must do, but we can quickly start to overstep those things, and that's really today we're going to be talking about. We're going to be getting in transitioning from the the, the tulip into another five part uh, kind of doctrine framework for the Reformation called the five solas. Mm -hmm. So we're actually kind of going backwards in church history <laughs> a little bit because um, the Arminian versus Calvinist debate, you know, really took place in the I think sixteen hundreds and. Yeah. And the Reformation is marked in fifteen, you know, seventeen with with Calvin, but it really starts Luther. before that. I mean, Calvin yeah. Yeah, with Luther. I'm sorry, um, but it really started before that. But with really going back into the Middle Ages and the things that the Catholic Church, um, which you know, really was the church. There wasn't other. There there were probably some Anabaptists starting, you know, before that. But the part the part is that these. Corruptions within the uh, Catholic Church that you can trace back, you know, probably even before the 1200s, but but really within this time we started to see 
the Pope overreaching and overstepping and the authority of the church and, and all these things that people are starting to res- respond to, you know, beginning with people like John Wycliffe in England to, to Huss in, in Czechoslovakia to, uh, to other places where, which ultimately, you know, found its apex in, in, in uh, Luther. You're right. They, they right. really broke away and right. others went with him and yeah. started all that. Sure. Right? And, and it's not that they're so part of the idea of what we call the Reformation is uh, people, Bible believers, scholars, um, some of them trying to get back to the heart of the scriptures. Right. And what they were reading was conflicting with some of the positions of the corporate church, if you will, or the institutionalized church, which is in the Roman Catholicism, right? And it wasn't that throughout the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages that there was uh, these beacons of light of scripture truth coming through. One of the big changes that happened um, at the time of Luther was the printing press, right? you know? And all of a sudden, what was a, um, a posting on the church door at Wittenberg there, mm-hmm. you know, of the 95 theses, which was meant for scholars. It was written in Latin, right? Mm-hmm. Not the common language, which was German at the time. Right. You know, some students are the ones that translated it, sent it off to the printing press, and all of a sudden it's spreading like wildfire. Yeah. And that's where, you know, the snowball effect started to really accumulate. Right. And that's why we kind of call that the start of the Reformation. But right. throughout history, people have been, you know, you know, fighting against the authorities for a long right. time. I did, in just doing some reading about this too, that um, one of the things that was happening, you know, probably in within the 1200s and, and things like that is the establishing of universities and scholasticism and things. We think of Thomas Aquinas within the Catholic Church, you know, was one of the into scholasticism and, and producing a lot of things. And so there was a lot of these ideas being banged about and, and even like writings from the, from, Plato and Aristotle and the Greeks and things were creeping into these universities that were started by the Catholic Church and all these different things. And so there was this sense in which there was a concern, probably a proper concern to some degree, of people turning away from the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And and believing in other ideas. And and so when other forms of knowledge or or just um, philosophies were were showing itself the the Catholic Church was trying to take control uh, of this, and and so some of the things that started happening was, um, you know, exercising certain levels of authority within Christendom of the time, which much of Europe was kind of under Christendom, um, under you know different monarchs and different regions and territories and things that were all. Um, had shown allegiance to the Catholic Church. They'd all had had allegiance to the Pope and wanted all the peoples to. And so when these other ideas came along and people start following them, there was this uh, desire to punish them for false belief, mm-hmm. right? And it could it could everything from throwing people into jail to actually taking their life, right? Um, so that was one of the issues that came along because ultimately the, the who had authority to do why did the state see itself to have authority to do this well because the state was aligned with the pope and basically the pope in many ways became the monarch of Christendom mm-hmm. in Europe that he that the king really was all his authority was always questioned I mean was always in some senses subservience to the pope and so the pope took on this um, you know, this extremely authoritative role within... Yeah, not only the head of the church, but kind of the head of the state. In, in some ways, right? yeah. So. And in some places, it, you know, it, it would, anytime a leader of the state would challenge him, he could just excommunicate them, <laughs> right? <laughs> and so these things start happening. But with that, um, when you get in bed with the state in such a way, then one of the big things that comes along is you need money to enforce your things. And mm-hmm. so there was the, the part of the issue that came along to is just the, the church was getting very wealthy as well. And so when, it, when you had authority over people's salvation, basically what, what it came down to was then things like indulgences became a big thing, right? So if I sinned, how did I get rid of my sin? Well, you know, there were works that you could do. You know, it was 
things tied to the sacraments, but then also to prayers and to confessions and and all these things. Well, well, sometimes they would just say, "Well, you can pay money." So if you support this this building or this work or this whatever, then you can have your sins taken care of too. And so so it gets so power and money and all these things get wrapped up in this and. And so it was just what we come to know as the abuses of the church and the abuses of the Pope that are shown in all these things that, that people start rebelling against. And at its core, and a lot of it really comes down to papal authority, mm-hmm. uh, which is held, which they would probably say is built on the scriptures, but really the papal authority was he could basically write scripture still. And so that really became the issue that Wycliffe and Huss, the who preceded, you know, Luther and Calvin and Knox and Melanchthon and these other people, right, came down to is wh- what are we ultimately trusting? Are we trusting in the word of of a man who sits on the seat of Peter in their in the Catholic view, or are we trusting in the word of God? Right. And one of the things that'll 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 come out when you investigate history a little bit more. Uh, that Luther points out is not so much the authority of the papacy um, over the church, because when done in the right fashion, it should be good, mm-hmm. but was the inconsistency between bishops, right? One says one thing, one says the other, and it's like, well, what's the ultimate? Right. You know, and so Luther's recognized, you guys can't even get it straight yourselves. <laughs> you know, th- we're going to, we're going to, Point back to something that has greater authority than, right. than man. Right. And so just in doing some of the research, again, refreshing myself in some of the church history, I, I was reminded of really some of the things that started bringing these things to the head in the – really in the 1300s was Pope Boniface the Eighth, that was in a conflict actually with um, the King of England at the time and the King of France. But the uh, – the point is they were at war over land in France, and uh, and they were wanting to tax the clergy in order to help fund <laughs> the war, right, which is, again, all the money and power issues that are going on in place. And so um, in, in Boniface, in, in his reactions against that and wanting to, you know, excommunicate or different things like that, he basically laid out a, a papal bull called the Unum Sanctum. Which basically is a, you know, trying to promote the unity of the church and all these things. But basically, in so doing, he proclaimed the necessity of belonging to the Catholic Church for eternal salvation. So, eternal salvation is not by faith alone through Christ alone, (laughs) right? As we'll talk about here. But it basically, not that they would say that. Those weren't part of this. I mean, right. but but the point is, but but really, it came down to: Are you loyal to the Pope and the Catholic Church? And if you're not submitting to their authority and loyal to them, then they would say you don't have salvation. And and in that sense, the preaching of the gospel is no longer preaching of. Eternal security in Christ, but it's in it's in your allegiance to the Pope, which is you know her- you, we 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 know to be heresy. But I mean, but that's just I I would almost say that's blasphemy. <laughs> well, right? yeah, and um, I wonder what the literacy rate was back then as well. You know, there's right. a certain knowledge that people would rely on their leaders to tell them what's right. So mm-hmm. now they're living in fear because my eternal soul is at stake if I don't do what they tell me, right? And misunderstanding right. or not having the ability to to see what the scriptures say for themselves because th- that's all being interpreted right. to them from above. Yeah. I mean, from the headship of the of the church. So, I mean, that's really scary for, for people when they're dealing with uh, the, not only their own lives, but their loved ones and, and whatever. So. Right. You know, the, the indulgence fact that Luther addressed was, was one of the big issues, right? Yeah, and that flows out of that. And once once the once that all that authority has all that pope, then he can just come, well, um, you know, are you concerned about your your sin? Then just pay me some money and I since I have this authority, I can I can pardon you. <laughs> you know, basically. <laughs> or give to you know, give to the 
the painting you give to the construction of this church or to the you know to whatever and so it's i mean it really you you see the the potential for abuse that just comes in and and so many started reacting against that now what's interesting too is just that people even initially re- reacted against that and boniface himself you know had even was kidnapped and uh you know there was uh which eventually came into namings of other popes and eventually there was a there at some time in the 1300s there were actually two popes one in France and one in Rome and they're not agreeing with each other you know and they, they had their own um office of cardinals you know that they had established and that which you know you know bishops yeah. aren't agreeing with each other right. and and all this stuff that that is there but what is interesting that through all that even I, as far as I could tell, it doesn't look like that. Like that papal bull was ever revoked. Like there was never a pope who came along later and said, "Oh no, I don't have that authority." <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you know. And so, so that it all, all that stuff leads up to what you know what Luther's experiencing, um, along with his own personal struggle. So you know, the Reformation also arose out of his own internal guilt right because he he didn't he didn't have his own he didn't feel secure in his own salvation right yeah. right constant torment hours and hours of prayer and solitary confinement on his own you know yeah free will to do that right. because he just doesn't ever you know <laughs> like i think one of the confidence that he had one of his leaders above him was saying listen you know you can't come to confession to me for four hours. If you do, you know, have something at least to confess, you know? <laughs> so he's like, you know, I have a real sin to confess, you know? Yeah. And, and this is just Luther just trying to be as God honored as he can and, right. you know, and be as righteous as he, as he possibly can. And, you know, that's one main difference as well between the Catholic church and the Protestant from the Reformation is how righteousness is applied. Does a person become righteous or is it the application of Christ's righteousness upon us? And that's a, right. that's a huge distinction. It is. It is. So we'll get there in a minute, but I, I do just want to come back to this papal authority thing because I, I'm reading here, this is, is from a, a website called monergism.com and they're just answering the question, what are the five souls? But I like, I like how um, they just Real kinda, quick, just uh, I might want to explain what monergism is. Oh, uh, monergism, we've we mentioned it on a few podcasts before, oh, but basically it is the idea of uh, mono being one, uh, motor, so monergism being the, the force of one or the acting upon by one entity as it relates then to our, our salvation, uh, our justification, that this is something that God alone can do that we don't contribute at all to okay. that, which is related to all these five solas and some of these that we're talking about. But And then the other side of that, if you're not monergistic, it would be called synergism. Synergism, which means synergistic. So we're together. cooperating okay. in, some, gotcha. in some sense, right? So here it says, um, the five solas were developed in response to, to specific perversions of truth that were taught by the corrupt Roman Catholic Church. The Roman Catholic Church taught that the foundation for faith and practice, so this is very important, the foundation for faith and practice was a combination of the scriptures, sacred tradition, and the teachings of the magisterium and the pope. Okay? So all those things are the foundation. Mm-hmm. It's not scripture alone. So that's... But the reformer said, "No, our foundation is sola scriptura." Mm-hmm. Okay, so right. so that you know, in a lot of ways, that whole issue of authority, that whole issue of foundation, really um, is important to see, and that's what Luther ultimately, you know, now he may not have used that term. I don't know if he did or not. You know, the, the, these kind of five solos eventually kind of became something that began to be taught as one thing. You know, later on, but they're all they all find as a summary, right? But but they are all found in in what we what we see there, and so um, and it really is that's what Luther began wrestling with. Is he he wasn't wrestling with? I mean, in one sense, he was wrestling with what the popes and the bishops and other things were teaching, but he was going back to the scripture as the foundation, and so when he was disagreeing with them, he was using scripture. 
you know, to do so. He wasn't, you know, citing some pope or bishop necessarily. He was wrestling with Scripture, and in particular, when it came to his own justification, he was re- wrestling with this whole issue of justi- justification by faith, right? That that, that in, in many ways became the root of thing. Now, now on this thesis, you know, he's 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 commenting on a lot of these corruptions and 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 errors and abuses of the church, right? But but you know, in his own personal struggle, and I think a lot of it came down to this issue of justification, right? Right, yeah, that was a big part of it. And then also um, when Luther was visiting in the one location I lost the name of right now, but um, he hears um, Tetzel, mm-hmm. you know, talking about the indulgences and he's saying, hey, you know, when a coin in the coffer, you know, rings, a right. soul from purgatory flings or, you <laughs> or know, springs, or, springs yeah. or flings or whatever, but is released. Yeah. And Luther's like, um, that's, I mean, you're buying, you're, you're actually buying your salvation at that right. point, right? And right. so um, Luther's intention then wasn't to destroy the Catholic Church. It was just a, a way to, to bring it back into correction Right, he truly did want to reform it. Yeah, yeah. That's where the Reformation. I mean, it was all about Reformation. It wasn't about starting Protestant denominations. Right. It really was to reform because what he what he said, you know, with this is that the the conscience, his conscience, but he would say the human conscience is is really to be carried by the Word of God, mm-hmm. not by papal edict. You know, so that's an important aspect of that. And so with that. When when you put that much authority as we talked about in the Pope, and actually with this papal bull of of unum sanctum that really salvation lies within the church edicts and, and but ultimately with the decision of the Pope in, in some senses, right? That you, if you're not agreeing with him, right, then then the Catholic Church was teaching then that we are saved, you know, through a combination of God's grace, the merits that we accumulate through penance and good works. And the superfluity of merits that the saints before us accumulated. Um, so, because there was even this thing that you know we would pray to the saints, and somehow the saints could make up for what we lack. Or you could, they, I mean, even this, you could start praying for the dead. So the dead in the purgatory or whatever that I could buy people out of purgatory, or I pray for people that had already passed that God would release them, you know, from hell and things like that. And so. It really became, um, you know, it's not that the cross wasn't still being preached to some degree, but there were all these things adding on to it, mm-hmm, right? Right. And so yeah. if we think back to like what Paul writes in Galatians, Rome, everything is that they're adding to the gospel. When you add to the gospel, it's no gospel at all, right? And so if it's if it's grace plus, you know, back into the Judaizers, it's grace plus circumcision or grace plus the festivals and grace plus that. Paul says no to those things. It's justification by faith alone through grace alone. And, and so, but in, in essence, isn't that what the Catholic Church is doing when it's, when it's saying, yes, we need Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection, but you also need to um, participate in the seven sacraments of the church. You also need to, um, you know, go to confess, you know, part of that being confession. And you, you know, you get, your sins get forgiven by saying so many Hail Marys or so many of other things. I was never Catholic, so um, you know yeah, what, what are the yeah. you know what are the other things? But there were things right. the Pope could say. Well, if you do these things, then if you if you do your penance, you know, then that will be taken care of. Uh, and 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 they started adding these indulgences um, onto that as well. And we start to see, oh, the work of Christ is not sufficient. Right. Then, right. That's right. Yeah. So when you look at the grace alone through faith alone um, aspect mm-hmm. of things, the uh, the Catholic Church had written their uh, there, there's probably twenty different they call them canons or statements mm-hmm. on justification, and half of which we can wholeheartedly agree with, mm-hmm. but but the other portion of them are added things outside of the scripture and. What they say to that is exactly what Paul in Galatians says to us. Another gospel, you'd be damned. And they're they're saying if you don't do things the way the Catholic Church is saying here, um, be anathema, which is to be damned. Mm-hmm. You know, if you and so this is a 
this is a this is not a gray area. It's a huge dividing line. It is, and so when you add all those other things, it's not by grace alone, right? And then the Catholic Church also taught that we're justified by faith and works that we produce, which the righteousness of God infuses through us and faith brings about. But the Reformers said, no, we're justified by faith alone, which lays hold of all that Christ has done and credited to our account. There's nothing that we add into our account with this. And so as we've talked about before in past episodes, that the, the, we don't... We don't disagree that works are important, but they're not meritorious. Right. Right. They are the fruit. They are the evidence of salvation. They are in no way earning anything before God. Right. And that's the distinction we make. And so, so in, in some senses, you know, uh, when I talk to some of my Catholic friends, I agree with them that we're, I'm not trying to say that the, the Bible doesn't talk about that obedience is unimportant or that works, you know, aren't part of the Christian life. They are. But they're in no way meritorious, right? right? And, and that's the that's the distinction that the reformers were making because the that's where this you know that's why it's hard to talk about grace alone and faith alone without talking to them together because it in response to what the Catholic Church was doing the the, the foundation and then the things that were being applied they're they're they were they're related. Well, they are, and that's yeah. what that's kind of what I was um, inferring earlier. I think before the show began mm-hmm. is that. This is about justification, yeah. And so grace and faith go together, exactly. Right? They, that they, they 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 can't really be separate. You can talk about them because of the distinctions, right? But they but they come together in how are we saved by grace alone through faith alone. Right. So you know it's it's exactly that. And right. you know one of the things that if you're listening right now and you happen to be Catholic or if you have a soft part for uh, for Catholics in your life, um, as I do, by the way, what the main distinction that you should be considering here is the glory of God and his deserved um, worship and how he has communicated to the church by his scripture, by his living word and through Jesus Christ, his son. And also the difference in Christianity, biblical Christianity compared to every other religion in the world is faith. Mm-hmm. Faith alone, right? Faith alone. All, every other religion is how do I, how am I a good person? How do I earn my way? Right. You know, and this is a huge distinction. And so when an entity that's claiming to be a, a Christian church adds something to grace, we have to, we have to make a choice if that's a dividing line or not. And it, and, and it is right. right. And so this is something that um, we all have to kind of wrestle with and we can get caught up in because my humanness, my flesh, is caught up in performance at times. Oh, all the time, right? And that's kind of a it feeds it. It, it feeds my pride. It feeds yeah. my ego. All that, all that stuff. I want people to look at look at that good guy over there. Look what he's done, right? right? Um, and and we can we can approach our 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 Christian faith that way sometimes, right? Right? Yeah. We can. Uh, and so we need to be careful. That, so that's part of what this is is being, you know. Being careful about that, and it, it goes back to even like what we were talking about with the tulip issue, right? Mm-hmm. The, the the concern is there, you know, just is there anything that man can boast about? You know, is there anything that we we can say, oh, well, I'm smarter than that guy, <laughs> I'm spiritually smarter than that guy, right? And, and that's something that no, it's it's all attributed to God, and the same thing here that it's all contributed to the work of Christ, not to any work that I do. Um, you know, and. Even you know, it's not the work of belief. It's not the work of prayer. It's not the work of um, you know helping the poor. It, all those are good things, but they're a byproduct of faith. They are not. They don't. They uh, and 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 as a result, I don't take credit for any of them. Right. Right. And God doesn't hold. God's not up there with his um, little marker book saying. Okay, Thad, you did this. That's enough. That'll take care of your lust for the day, you know. And so, oh, good, you you gave to them. That'll take care of your um, your hate towards that person today, right? You know, that's that's, that's not how this works, right. right? And so, one of the things that is an aspect also um, from the Catholic point of view uh, that there's going to be a little bit of a conflict. What I'm going to say here, but it'll it'll pan out is that if 
um, our salvation is in part meritorious mm-hmm. on things that we do in penance or our good acts or whatever. That would, and I'm going to say the word, obligate God mm. to reward those, right? right? That's an obligation. Now, the Catholic Church doesn't say or use the word obligation, but what they say is because of the good works, it would be congruous mm. for God to reward those, right? Mm-hmm. And if he didn't, it would be incongruous mm-hmm. for him not to. I learned that from R.C. Sproul as he mm-hmm. was speaking on these matters. And that's a very, um, that's a very interesting thing. I mean, it's kind of a soft way to say, God, you're obligated. That's how I'm, that's how I'm seeing it. Interesting. Yeah. You know? Well, the, the God, is God obligated? Well, he is. It goes back to the eternal degree. He's obligated to himself. Right. He's obligated to keep his word. He's obligated to uphold the promises made within the Trinity to to bring about um, the redemption of the world right right but he's but his obligation is is then not to us right um, uh, but only in secondary form is as once we're united to Christ yeah right, right. then Related to our last episode on the perseverance of faith, he's 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 obligated to his own faithfulness. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. You know, and, and and Paul addresses this in Romans in regard to this in chapter four, verses four and five. Paul says, "Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as a due." So he's just talking about working in the physical world. Hey, right. I'm I'm going to go to work for this guy for eight hours, and he's going to pay me. If I work for that guy for eight hours. I am due those wages. That's right. that's the obligation to the employer. Right. Um, and to the one, he says, who does not work but believes in him, who in Christ, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Oh, so it's based on belief but not based on on works, right? So it's because it's, it's only Christ. Because what's God's standard? It's perfection. I mean, right. unless you can live a perfect life, you cannot attain the standard, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the single sin of telling a simple little lie shows your unrighteousness and that we're worthy of death. I mean, right. that's the wages of sin is death, right. right? And so Christ, who is the righteous one who lived that out perfectly, right. is the only one that can merit salvation. And based on that and whom God calls, God is congruous, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, or, or is obligated to the payment that Christ makes. And we talked about that in the limited atonement aspect of things too, I think. Yeah, exactly. And so, and it is interesting that, you know, these five solas are, are very related to this whole conversation we're having this season, right. And, and to, to tulip and to, you know, the eternal decree predestination, all these things we've been talking about. But as we consider uh, our Catholic friends, you know, I know way I know in no way want to destroy their faith in Christ. Right? That's not what we're trying to do. I'm not trying to judge whether someone's a Christian or not. I think there are plenty of individual Catholics out there who are believers. I know priests who have talked to who would who would, you know, in some senses stray away from being very dogmatic about some of the things of Rome, you know, um because they've had because you know, they, they would talk about being born again and, and this, you know, rela- relationship they have with Christ and stuff that is supreme and superior to all all other things. And you know, all to say is that we're pointing – what we're pointing out here is to lead people to Christ alone, which is the next solo, right? That the, 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 the issue of grace alone and then through faith alone is ultimately that we are – saved by the merits of Christ alone, and we come to God through Christ alone. Uh, And so what we're trying to point out is that these decrees and some of these positions of the Roman church authority that have cried, in our view, diminish that because they're adding something else to that, that that alone is not fully satisfactory. You know, that, you want to know something? Yeah. Um, I just was thinking that do we or do we not believe in the wrath of God? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because what the Bible speaks 
of God's wrath, right? And that it is filled with passion towards all unrighteousness. Mm-hmm. Well, what part of me on my own is unrighteous? Just, just name it. It is. That's mm-hmm. what I am. Even on my very best day, it's unrighteous. Look at what Isaiah says, right? On your very best day, you're filthy rags, mm-hmm. right? It's got to be based on the righteousness um, in order to be considered right. And, and so now when it comes to Christ and his death on the cross, did he or did he not make the payment in full? Yes, he did. So if he did, and the scripture says it does, in fact, Christ from the cross says to Talistai, it is finished, paid in full. What am I even thinking that I can merit any further righteousness to that? I mean, I got to be, I would have to in my mind be thinking I'm adding to this or I'm working towards something rather than just glorifying God and living out a a sanctified life. Right. Well, I think that's the problem. That that as I've read, you know, some of the the stuff, and even remembering, you know, some of the conversations I've had, you know, with with my Catholic friends and, and reading some of the Catholic authors, their concern is the fact that, but you still sin, Thad, right? What what do you do with the ongoing sins of your life, right? And so I think that's part of the issue is feeling like. Um, those we need somehow to recognize how how do you in your life recognize the fact that you still sin and that you will sin going forward how is that dealt with right um so what's your response to that yes um well, the response is biblically that Christ died once. For all, yes. right? He died for all the sins of the Old Testament saints, and he mm-hmm. died for all the sins of those who would come after his death, right? right? The payment, and this is spoken of that, you know, in, in the book of Hebrews and really all throughout um, the scriptures, but the idea is that there's the shedding of blood that is the payment, mm-hmm. right? The wages of sin is death. That's basically my blood. I mean, right. it's not how much blood Christ shed. It's the fact that he died, right? That's the representation of what the shedding of blood is. He, the, A righteous one had to die in place of unrighteousness. And so there was only one righteous at any given time in history, you know, throughout all of history, and that was Jesus Christ, who was able to present to the Father a true payment for sin. Right. Yeah, it's the same answer you gave before, right? It, you know, and that's the, that's the thing is, it's like it does not matter in one sense because that payment is full. Now, in another sense, we are to grow in grace and sanctification, and 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 hopefully, I sin a lot less today than I did um, thirty years ago. But in the other sense, but in another sense, I'm even now more aware of my sin. Than I was thirty years ago, um, because of this, this the presence of Christ in me. So it's the the issue is really um, accepting the fact that that it all was paid at the cross, right? Past, present, and future. And so, um, so in some senses, to, I, my response to, to my Catholic friends who who talk about that is like. Do you understand, I think in some senses, what you're asking is that, isn't that, isn't that enough? Is what Christ did e- enough? That you're putting a timeline on, on my sin in some senses that is all being taken place, you know, 2,000 years ago anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and so, um, you know, does it matter if if someone came to Christ when they were three or eighty or or what? I mean, I don't. I guess I don't get the the angst over that ongoing sin. I mean, I do from a personal feel. We all can feel guilty, you know, about stuff. But I, it goes back to what you said a couple episodes ago in terms of like, why do we sometimes feel the need to ask forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over again? 
You know, remember you, you yeah. mentioned that, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, no, I need to ask forgiveness for not believing I was forgiven the first time. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> my, my, my son uh, called me out on that and he said, you just plagiarized R.C. Sproul on that. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I probably did steal that from him in regard to that lesson. But that actual thing happened right. within these four walls when somebody was confessing to me that, I'm just not, I'm just not feeling forgiven. Right. And so, I, yeah, I stole that line. I, I, of course, I, yeah. I, I don't have an original thought in my, in my. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, we've all, we've all felt these things. And so, it, but, but all to say is that it, what makes me think, it makes me think about what Paul, because Paul anticipates the, this idea and this argument with grace within his, within Romans, right? And that it's like, oh, you know, because he talks about how when sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, mm-hmm. right? And then, but he, then he asks the question, well, well, then maybe that means I should just continue in my sin so grace can continue to abound more and more, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and he starts off chapter six that way. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him and by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So we are to walk in newness right. of life. The person that's been regenerated, born again, is a new creation, has a now a heart of flesh instead of this heart of stone. And when we say a heart of flesh, that's not about living in the flesh. It's, it's right. just a description of a stony heart versus a tender heart. Yeah. But that the aspect of what we now understand about ourselves and our, our own sin and what Christ has done in us to save us from ourselves, the response is not to go sin. The natural response of easy believism might be, right. but the response of understanding the grace of God is nothing but thanksgiving and a heart that wants to serve, right? right? And yeah, we're going to have that internal battle between our flesh and our spirit of you know trying to fight off our pride and all those other things. Yeah, but the that that regenerated heart does not want anything other than to please Christ, right? And so we believe in repentance. We believe in sure. turning around. We believe in walking in newness of life, putting off the old man, putting on the new man. But again, none of and but all of those things are the evidences of salvation. They are the fruit of faith. They are not the things that then bring us into right relationship with God. Right, and so that's what all these solas are going back to, which leads us to the last sola we haven't discussed yet is sola gloria. Right, is that back to our what this whole season yeah, a lot of ways about Deo Gloria, is, yeah, is 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 the is the glory of God. Right, um, solo de gloria. So the, the if in if there's any which goes in a lot of senses for us goes back to the whole tulip discussion. Too, because if there's anything that man is doing originating out of himself, that is, it's taking glory away from God and worship away from Christ. And so when we have saved um, by grace alone, through faith alone, uh, by Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, all again, which are rooted in Scripture alone as the beginning, we, we see that the only the only true gospel is the one which gives glory to God alone, not some of these other things. Now that's where some of these other issues within Catholicism rise, because what what happens too in some of the doctrines of Catholicism is that some of the glory of sinner salvation is attributed yes to Christ, but then it also can be attributed to Mary and the saints, right? Because if I'm if I have to say Hail Marys, you know, and, and pray to the saints, then then oh. Christ is sharing that glory with other people who themselves were only saved by Christ alone. Mm -hmm. Mary herself would acknowledge that she is saved by her, by Christ alone. Right. Well, Mary, even in her, in Mary's song, right. She, she talks about her savior. Yes. Right. Right. uh, And so, so, um, and, but then even the sinner himself, if he starts doing things, right, can can take some of that glory. Right. You know, and so that's where this ultimately leads is that no, no, the only one, the only human getting glory is Jesus, 
who's 100% human, 100% God. (laughs) Exactly. No other human, no other saint before us, not Mary, not not my grandmother who prayed for me, you know, not saint somebody else, you know, nobody else gets glory, only God alone. Right. Right. And, and, well, and, and when you start talking about Mary, for example, um, the Catholic church had to modify um, the doctrine of Mary um, mm-hmm. with the Immaculate Conception, right? Which is uh, something that they solidified, um, including the, uh, assumption of Mary in nineteen in Vatican II, 1960-something, okay. right? Which is uh, um, an update, not based on anything in Scripture, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, a man-made doctrine to, to finalize their position. And it's like you said, no, um, this is like, when I said earlier, this is about justification, mm-hmm. you know? Justification is about righteousness, and there's only righteousness is who can keep the law. Well, you have to be able to keep it perfectly, and there's only one that did it. And Peter says it in his in his in his uh, first epistle in chapter chapter three says that Christ suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring right. us to God. There's no other mention here of any other way to do that. Right? right? It's just for unjust. It, it can't be by works. It can't be by the things that we do. And here's the thing. If we have been justified by God, that is a proclamation of our of our righteousness in Christ, not that we have been made righteous. We have not been made righteous. We still are sinners, right? We're both sinners and saints. Mm-hmm. And that is is different than so when we say once we've been justified in this stuff that we've been talking about in um, our salvation, the doctrines of grace in the past five lessons, was that what Christ began in us, he completes, and what we have in Christ, we cannot lose because it's Christ who maintains it, right? The Catholic Church says that you can lose your justification. Right. Now, they say you won't necessarily lose your faith. You don't lose your faith, but you have to be re-justified, and that comes through the, the sacraments, right to to the to the penance and all of that and then you that's why you do your prayers so right. that you might become justified again that's the constant process of be, really being kind of fully saved not really fully saved where you go to purgatory that you have to have all that other works continue right it's right. A, and that's why it's or additive upon additive yeah, right, of, of all right. those things and so you know the gospel is so simple christ alone end yeah. of story it is, and and you 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 brought up the law, and I think that's related even to what we're talking what you were talking about. These other things to add too that we need to we need to remember that the law is more a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? The law is a covenantal relational obligation, right, between man and and God that we. That, that ultimately comes down to loyalty and that faith, that righteousness is ultimately shown in keeping your word to God, you know, which shows itself in whether you lie to others in love of God and love of neighbor, right? All sure. the laws are a reflection of whether you're loving God or loving your neighbor. Right. And all those individual things we do or don't do bring that out, but the, but the root of it is faithfulness to God. Mm-hmm. It's this relational allegiance, this loyalty and belief that God alone is wise. He alone is the one in whom I place my trust, and therefore I will obey him. He's my king. And so no human has done that. Only Jesus made flesh, the Son of God becoming man, kept that promise, right? He's the only, and he kept it on our behalf. And so we have to think that, um, again, the, the keeping of the law in that sense is, is that ultimate promise and allegiance that only Jesus could fulfill. And his righteousness is, and that word righteousness is, is also related to the word justice. Mm, it is, yeah. You know? And, and why are we unjust? It's because our hearts have turned and our minds and our wills, everything have turned away from God. 
that result in the lies and the stealing and the hate and the anger and the jealousy and the fits of rage and all those things that are listed as the works of death, the works of the flesh, the works of the old man. But it's it's when it's it's only that loyalty to Christ um, that that comes. In what we talked about in the last episodes in terms of that regenerative work of the Holy Spirit who binds us in union to Christ, who is the one who stayed true to the Father all along. Um, And so... Which is why we are told to pray only to God through Jesus Christ, right? right? Because there's one mediator, and that's what the scripture says in in, uh, Timothy, Yeah, um, right? It says, uh, for there is one God... Mm-hmm. And one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself right. a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Okay, so if there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, mm-hmm. that mediator, when he says the man Christ Jesus, that's that's pointing to his death and his perfect keeping of the law. He was he was the just one. Exactly. Right? But if he's the one mediator and you are praying to another, to a saint, or to Mary, you are basically saying that you need a mediator between you and the Son to get to God the Father. Right. Right? And you're relying on somebody else's merits to hold on to it. And that, that it's really heretical. It is. And so, and, and that's what the Reformers were upholding. They, they're not, again, they're just trying to be clear about what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus. It's it's a like you said. It's a simple message, you know. And so we say this. And I don't in any way want to diminish the importance of Mary, you know, as as a as a faithful saint, right? I mean, what she did, you know, and and what how God ordained and used her to bring about Jesus and and her staying true in faith to that, I don't want to diminish that at all. Right. Just like we don't diminish what Paul or Peter, the apostles, I mean, what, you know, she, she's such an important figure right. in, in the church and the bringing about of God's redemption, but she is not divine, right? And she, none of her work is meritorious for me and you. Right. She was right? not divine. She was not sinless. And she did not remain a virgin after Christ's birth because they have more children, right? And these are all things that the Catholic Church takes away because why? Because it takes away um, the merit of of Mary in their eyes. Yeah. And so so I just want to hear that we should have great respect and admiration, not to the level of worship, right? But admiration for Mary, right? And how she's presented in the scriptures, right? As, As someone who's faithful, to God, right? Just like we would for Moses or David or Paul, right? Or Peter or any of those things. But the error that is that we find is that she is raised above that on par in some manner with Christ in the Trinity, and we cannot do that. That is blasphemous, right? Right. Um, now, if you're Catholic and, you're, and you don't think um, that you've ever heard that before about Mary being really above what you think that she is, then that's okay because you're in ignorance um, on that mm-hmm. aspect of it. But the, what the Catholic Church teaches now is that Mary is co-redemptrix of heaven. Mm. Mm. That's that's their language, mm. right? And that there, there, there's a lot, and I don't I, I don't want to go off in that tangent because what we're really here to talk about is uh, the recognition of what can happen when you stray from sticking to the scriptures, right? This is really about this it, is really about sola scriptura, is and and all these other alones that that, that this word alone is there for a reason, right? right. Uh, that that these we don't rest on any other authority but the word of God. Now, do we need the body of Christ, and do we need pastors and teachers and elders who work together to? to make sure we're getting that right. You bet we do. We do, right? And if there's ever a time anyone in our church um, or with, who thinks that we're not being true to Scripture, they're able to come to the court of our session, which is our elders and pastors, our ruling and teaching elders, and they can come with their complaint, and we can deliberate on whether or not we someone taught something wrong from Scripture or not. 
And if and if and if that court can can then be challenged by the greater court of the presbytery and ultimately the general assembly. Right. We don't lean on any one man. We don't, you know, Pastor Winans is our lead pastor. You know, he's the one who leads our session. But he is not, his word is not final. Right. <laughs> right? No. He would never say it is. He w- doesn't want that at all. Right? It's the job of every person on session to represent the mind of Christ. You know, and that's where the Pope, as the vicar of Christ or whatever his title, you know, that they, they say he is, is, um, is putting way too, giving one person way too much authority, right? And we see over over church history how that was abused, greatly abused, because no man can stand up to that, right? Right. You know, and so and so all this is really in a, in many ways a response to the 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 Pope, um, and in his authority, and then the the agreement of then the other. The, the the bishops and cardinals and things to go along with right. that to to have these um, abuses of the church like the indulgences and the 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 uh, taking of people's life over these, these, these are things. all things that are added to the gospel. What right. is the gospel? The gospel is simple, right? It's spoken of in Corinthians where mm-hmm. it says that Christ was sinless. He was mm-hmm. born of a virgin. That he lived a sinless life. Right. That he fulfilled the law that he laid his life down, died on the cross, was buried for three days, and the third day he rose again in fulfillment right. of the scriptures. That's the gospel message, right? Yeah. That he paid he paid the price. That's the gospel in simplicity. In Galatians, this is spoken of um, that Paul is rebuking, and I want you to think about this mm-hmm. as you are hearing other things that have to be added to the gospel. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, um, verses 6 through 10, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, that's Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel. Now listen, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach to you any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That's that Greek word anathema there, mm-hmm. right? You know that, or is that a Latin word? But uh, if they're probably together. But anyways, let him be accursed or damned. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ." Here we are saying that it's very simple. The gospel of Christ is what he just came and accomplished, right? Right. right. Anything else that's added to that is a different gospel. Yes. We're dealing with fire here now. <laughs> I mean, on, on how serious you're going to take— It is the word anathema in Greek, yeah. Okay, it yeah. is. All right, to, um, to do um, and serve Christ according to the truth that he's given us to do. So um, how serious— are we to take the scriptures and what is placed higher, the scriptures themselves, which we call God's word, or a particular body that says they have authority over those scriptures? Yeah. We're about out of time. I mean, on this, unless we want to talk a, a few more minutes, but uh, I think the conversation has been has been really good as we've talked about scripture and these and these five solas. But what do you think? Um, where do you think we'll head into our next session? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I've been considering. I think we, I think we covered the five solos, you know, pretty well today. Uh, I do think we need to consider some other distinctions from Reformed faith. So we talked about a distinction between the Reformed faith and Arminianism. We've talked now about the distinction between Reformed faith and Catholicism. I think maybe the next thing that would we we would could go to is the distinction between the Reformed faith and dispensational. Theology. Ooh, big time. Right, so, so both Protestant, you know, just like Arminianism, and there would be a lot of, you know, when it comes to the Calvinist Arminius debate, um, you know, a lot of dispensationalists would agree with much of what we said. Right. Um, they would probably many I've talked to have trouble with it, with right. limited atonement. Right. And really, but, when you say reformed and dispensational, um, the, the probably a closer distinction would be covenantal. Covenantal versus dispensational, right? Because, yeah, because I think of John MacArthur right away who would say that he's reformed, but he's dispensational in, right, in, in right. aspects. But, so, yeah. but 
Reformed and Covenantal would fit with our Presbyterianism. Absolutely, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, so so I think that that would uh, that would be something to consider. Uh, uh, we might have something different, you know, between now and then. But I think that is one thing we will cover, whether we do it next or not. We'll, we'll see. But you can you can edit this based on <laughs> what we decide. <laughs> but no. I but that's one. What the, a, a, another possibility I think when it comes to reformed faith, I think would be something we haven't talked about yet. But another way we can go is is to talk about the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers, um, because that. Because that would stay on this Catholic theme, right? Because that's one of the distinctions here that 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 uh, you know there was a, a you know a hierarchy within the Catholic Church of the priest versus the parishioner, you know, and and that distinction was very much drawn out out of the Reformation as as being something that that was not really what the Scriptures had for us. Yeah. So that right. could be the thing we could go to next, following up with this one before we got it. Yeah. And by the way, you know, and I've mentioned this already, but I, I've come. And was raised in the Catholic Church, right? Mm-hmm. So I have empathy uh, for that position and frustrations with what sounds like me, be people talking negatively about what I believe yeah, because right. I hold those dear to my heart, right? right. And so um, just be encouraged that this is really about um, the glory of God and that we all want to be positioned toward the truth and are feeling according to what we have um, spent time in today is that it's by scripture alone. Right. And so again, if you have any questions or want to have any dialogue with us about, I know Thad in the past has put my email address in the show notes. You're always welcome. Uh, and if you do that again, you're always welcome to reach out by email. Yeah, absolutely. Raise your questions and, and we would be happy to do one of our podcasts answering those questions. And so, um, yeah. It could be about this current issue. It could be any of our past things, too, from our, our, our first season one series. It could be Colossians. It could be this one. You know, um, please submit your questions, and we'd be happy to interact. Thanks. Yep. Sounds good. Have a good day, everybody. Be sure to join us next time as we continue our look at Reformed and Covenantal Theology as we base our thoughts on Scripture alone. Planet is a Cornerstone EPC production, connecting to God, one another, and the world through the love of Jesus. More information can be found at cornerstonebrighton.com.